morning. Welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Adam. I'm Jackson, and we're back. We're back on the Zoom call, and it's not because any of us uh, have COVID. So, thankfully, we're all good. That's a, that's a morbid way to start the episode. I'm so sorry. For <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll 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 correct. We actually we're not doing the Zoom anymore because or we're not doing the in person anymore because we figured out that we weren't having fun. So we wanted to go back to just like the virtual thing, just see if that made us like each other a little bit more. I'm on the fence. Everybody drinking by themselves in their own rooms, you know. <laughs> the real reason we're doing this is we have guests here as you can see in your podcast app but we have the band from would you guys say denton or fort worth what 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 is it now i would say denton we are definitely a denton texas band all right cool so from denton texas we have Dome dwellers what i would call power trio uh why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves and what you guys do Sure. I am Michael Slack. I play guitar and I sing. I'm Cullen Dean. I play bass. I'm David Gore and I play drums. Listen to the sound of that mic. So good. So velvety. <laughs> <laughs> Did you give David the nice um, mic? I think David gave David the nice mic. Uh, yeah, David has the nice <laughs> mic, so David gets That's the nice enough. mic. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds very good in this context. That's pretty fair. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, coming. Uh, and the reason why we have you guys here, just go ahead and get all of this up top, and then we can have a natural uh, organic conversation, which is a natural organic thing people say. And uh, the reason we've got you guys here is because you have an upcoming full-length LP, and it's called It's Just Us, correct? That is correct. And at the time of recording... This episode, you have released the first single off that, which is Way It Goes, which I, I just, I regret to inform you, as a fan of your band, I am not going to call it anything other than Bapa Ooh. <laughs> that is totally understandable and fine, because that is the most used lyric, 100%. <laughs> that, that was one thing that I, I told my partner hey, Dome Dweller's releasing a song. And she said, do you think it's going to be Bapa Ooh? And I was like, it's got to be that. If it isn't, then I think I'm no longer a fan. And you guys <laughs> delivered. I am so glad we knew 100% that had to be the first single. It just, it was necessary. It really fit well. But uh, before we sp speak directly on some of the tracks, uh, let's talk about the road to this album. You guys released an EP in 2015, the Ivory Tower EP, and here we are, 2021. I know we all, everybody in the human race had a gap year, but w what was the road between the EP and where we are today? Well, I can speak to that, and, and David definitely can as well. Um, you know, when we started recording this record, we'd gone through some lineup changes and we were actually a duo for a little short bit and we had all these songs that we'd written and we we knew we wanted to record a record and we were approached by uh, a friend of ours sam chown who uh plays in the band schmoo before that he played in the austin band zorch he's living out in la right now but he said hey i really like you guys i think you should uh meet my engineer evan uh Kleinecke in austin and i want to help you guys make a record and that's so kind of kind of where it all started and from there, you know, we went down and recorded a lot of stuff as a two-piece, kind of getting stuff out there. It was literally just guitar, drums, and vocals when we started. And we were like, we want more. <laughs> we want more on this record. And we, we just took our time. That's a huge part of it. But 
also a lot of life stuff in between, but I'll, I'll let David it, also fill in some gaps. Yeah, so much, so much time. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's generally the, the gist of it is, yeah, I don't know, it kind of, it, yeah, it kind of fell down to like, I mean, Colin had uh, decided to step away for a little bit. And so it was just me and Michael. And I mean, that's, that's kind of where like the It's Just Us, the, the title of the album comes from. Cause like, it was just at that point, it was just the two of us and we'd written a song kind of about that. And it was like, okay, well, what do we do? Like, it was just kind of like a big thing for just the two of us. And uh... I think that's such a driving, you know, force behind this record is, you know, when I kind of, I stepped away from the band for a few years just for my own personal reasons. And that kind of, you know, from watching outside the band, that was really a fire for y'all to like, as a motivator too, to just to be like, you know, this is us, this is our thing. Like, we're going to do this. And, you know, it was great to actually watch that from afar and then, two three years later when I kind of got through my stuff to be able to come back and just hear what y'all have accomplished and you know be able to now be a part of that at the end process and yeah it's been great when you're going through that stuff and you have lineup changes and it becomes just the two of you are you thinking is this the rest of the history of the band just we're a duo or are you like you you kind of touched on it before during the recording process but had you played live much as a duo yeah we did and and you know I don't think I think it was sort of a determination thing, and and David can can chime in on this too. But I think when that happened, we were like we we felt so good about what we were doing. We felt like we had people that really liked what we were doing, and and we weren't going to stop. And we, I mean, we even uh, did like a, a West Coast tour. We went all the way out to California and back as a two piece back then, and it was a really this really good feeling. But at the same time, we knew we wanted more. And then, you know, kind of after that happened, there was a period we pl- played with um, Adam Sewell, who played in uh, Triba in Dallas, and then uh, now is some more music out under Fear Gorda, which is really awesome. Just some, some of the most weird, eclectic, cool shit, and he's doing his thing in Boston right now. So we really had kind of an amazing opportunity to work with other people and figure out kind of what, who we were as a band, almost reinvent ourselves a little bit during that period. So there's no ill intentions for any of that? No, none at all. No, it was a no at the time. I was like, I don't think we we didn't we knew we weren't going to stay a two piece, but it was like, I was like, look, we still got we still got gigs we want to do. Like we were we still had momentum, and we were just like, we're just going to continue. You know, like I mean, we had to kind of change the style. I think a little bit. Like I like the new songs that we wrote when it was just the two of us. I just had to change the drum style a little bit. But other than that, it was it was like full steam ahead. Let's just keep going and see what happens. Yeah. So it's impressive to hear that you guys, you know, still kept moving forward as the two piece when you're talking about the recording context, because I guess when you're finding yourself, uh, uh, you know, on a live stage and figuring out what it's like to be a two piece, there is that idea of like, okay, well, we're going to get this, uh, an opportunity to play again. We can possibly play tomorrow night, that kind of thing. But when it comes to recording that, you know, there is this idea of like this is this is it this is the point of being a musician to record an album that people will listen to um did these songs change at all is there any of these songs that is still on the album as that kind of two-piece format that you guys had or when you guys got adam in the band did it end up changing at all so i guess early on we'll well because we went when we originally went to the studio it was just the two of us so I guess I know at least for some of the drum parts, they were writ. They are kind of still like, hey, they're written like it's just the two of us. Um, but we were able to kind of like add to that and like work around that and make it more than just that. 
Yeah, and and I think a lot of it evolved over time too, and and that's one of the reasons the record took a while was that you know the what we haven't mentioned yet is there's three different bassists on this record. Colin's on the record on two tracks. Adam is on the record on I guess. Uh, oh God, I have to do math on Mike. Oh shit. Um, he's on six tracks, and then uh, Alex Brown, who's a UNT uh, grad, Dentonite, amazing bass player, living in Austin now. Uh, did some really, really cool um, uh, fretless bass on a track. I guess I'll say it on a track called uh, Wide Awake that is uh, we'll, we'll be releasing later. So, yeah, it was it kind of gave us an opportunity to, like I said, reinvent ourselves. And, and in a way, like I, we're not going to be worried about how to play these songs live yet. Let's just put on the record exactly what we want to be there and we'll figure it out later. <laughs> I think we're still doing that. Honestly, we're doing that to this day big thing that's different now is when you do start playing live again i'm assuming there will be four people on stage when there was previously three yeah your new keyboard player blake is he having to learn all the parts because i know in the way it goes some of the credits you're michael you're listed as playing synth tracks on it is he trying to do exactly what you did or what's that process like so we we gigged with blake live for pretty much all i guess all of 2019 and then of course 2020 happened Things ground to a halt. Um, you know, rehearsal ground to a halt. Life changed, you know, as a band. Like, so I'll say this. We, I had the masters for the record March 2020. And it was like, what the hell do we fucking do? Because uh, the pandemic hit. There was, it just, also social media at the time, like it was during the Black Lives Matter protest. It, like putting out a record in that moment felt like the most selfish wrong thing to do it was like this is not our moment this is not the time the world needs needs uh you know this little band from denton texas's record and so we had to really kind of reconsider what we were doing in that moment to go back to the question yeah, yeah i think i think blake uh originally it was just he would play a lot of what michael had written right. um synth wise um and i think with the newer stuff we were writing he had started to kind of just write stuff on his own um, but initially it was like, Hey, we're just play what's on the record, what we have. And like, if you have ideas, let's, let's elaborate, you know, on those. But for now, let's stick to this and we'll figure it out. Yeah. There, there's footage from your so far performance, I think in 2015, where you play fragments of infinity. And I, I think I spotted him in the audience watching you guys very intently. He was the engineer for that session. So yeah, he, I mean, he's been a, friend of ours for a long time yeah yeah he's been he's been a friend of ours for a while actually i went to i grew up with blake we went to like um school together like grade school i guess not grade school but like intermediate middle school high school together so yeah blake and it's what's interesting too so like uh david and i didn't know each other until college same with cullen uh, but we grew up david and i both grew up in the metroplex and i grew up in keller david went to school and lived in grapevine and and him and blake went to school together and then when we were, when I was like, I guess 12, 13 years old, you know, I was taking guitar lessons. There's this whole thing like in great binary called rock school. And Blake was a guitar student there. And I remember we were playing in like our little boy bands <laughs> at the palace theater in grapevine. And it was the first time I met Blake. So I've known Blake for a very long time. And David kind of knew him at the same time. And there's sort of these just funny ways that our lives kind of intersected back then. So, you know, Blake has been on my radar for a very long time. Oh, that's great. So we, I've seen you guys play live before, and uh, Michael, you have a pretty extensive uh, setup, your pedal collection, and 
the way that you command it is amazing. When you're writing this these songs, I guess you know some people have said you're math rock. Would you are you okay with that before we before I ask the question? I mean, it's been a label that's been put on us enough right. that I think we we just kind of have to be. It, it's a double edged sword. The funny thing is, is that the people who play the genre, they're like, oh, they're not really math rock. And then the, for the people that are listeners, it's like, well, what even is this? I guess I guess it has to be math rock or or is it prog or is it art rock? Is it experimental rock? We, you know, we've never really tried to aim for that. It's just an influence at the end of the day. To me, it's not really like math rock in terms of like, say, meter or rhythm, but like you know, in terms of like Michael's pedal combinations could be considered some sort of like math formula of him having to tap dance and manipulate things and, you know, combine things, add, subtract and multiply. So I, I think that is a label kind of, it sticks and then we kind of do it, you know, Mike does it in his own way. I say math rock just because it's simple. Yeah, it's just, of course. That too. <laughs> math rock. You, like, you wouldn't understand it anyway. So. They're, they're always funny when people, <laughs> you start to get reviews, which you guys have gotten a lot for the new single, uh, but then you start to get the reviews and you're like, okay, yeah. Like someone said, you sound like Freddie Mercury. And it's like, okay, they both sing in a high register. All right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, Michael, don't let it go to your head, okay? <laughs> When you're when you're recording these things and you're writing these songs together, I'm sure it's very collaborative. But for example, you let us hear this the song Twenty One Days. The lyrical content of that seems pretty heavy, Michael. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what that's what the lyrics are about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the funny thing is, is like we talk about how long ago we released the last album. Some of these songs are pretty old. You know, like that they were written quite a while ago, and so trying to get back in that exact headspace is can be difficult. But um, 21 Days is about, there was a, I'm going to, I'm, I'm upset at myself that I don't know the exact year, um, but I think it was probably around like 2015-ish or 2014 actually. Uh, there was a three-week period where like I had all of my living grandparents were all super old and then there was a three-week period where my, let's see, my uh, maternal- 2013. Was it the 2013? Yeah, because it was when we were at 1221. That's right. Yeah. See, there we go. I'm bad with dates. Yeah. But yeah, I lost two of my grandparents like within a three week period on like both sides. And it was just like this whole, whole really tumultuous summer. And I remember that, that being that period where it's like, you know, it just, it just really sort of rocked my world in, in that moment to have kind of that much loss. And then, you know, even, even before we recorded that song, like I lost all four of them. And, um, in a way it was, the song was, was definitely mournful, but also sort of a tribute to that as well to them. In their memory, because the the entire kind of lap, like the last bridge at the very end, was I didn't even write that until after we recorded everything else in the studio. I think there's maybe some synth parts that weren't weren't finished. A lot of that was sort of the, the window dressing at the end, some of that extra stuff. But yeah, those last, I was like, this song needs something else, and I was like, it needs a coda at the end and like the send off too. And that's actually the the end of the record as well. That's the final track. Oh wow! So it felt felt kind of appropriate. Yeah, I, I definitely heard that uh, that being the last one because you know now knowing the context of that song, I mean that I I think it's like a, a full minute, but that last full minute just feels like a, a a release of emotions. So that that makes complete sense that it's the last track. So I asked that because I was I was going to ask how do you guys balance keeping things as interesting as you do? At some point, there's a blast beat in that song. Based, in the, I think after the second verse. <laughs> Oh, it's and so it, fucking good. <laughs> that's where the math comes in. Right. Well, even between like between all those heavy lyrics, you you lyrically say things like "Watch me go crazy" or something like that. 
and then the instrumental section happens. How much do you think about, okay, well, let's do a cool instrumental thing here, and then we'll go back into the second verse? I mean, what I remember, like, when writing that, you know, I was in the band when we were getting through that. I think a lot of times Michael bring, like, pretty well-fleshed-out skeletons of songs, and we just kind of jam on them, and that's the thing, too, is, like, he'll bring it, and then, you know, when David and I are playing on playing under it or over it, you know, sometimes the, the feel will change or the attitude. And I think when he kind of had that kind of outro kind of outlined, you know, Dave and I were trying to decide what we want to do. And that's just kind of naturally came about. It's just having this super explosive ending. And I feel, I feel like, I feel like with, as for like the, the lyrics coming later is like, we always, there was always something that was like missing from, from that part. It was like, it was always nice. It was always fun. And it's just like, oh yeah, we're, we're doing we're jamming here real hard but then it was like there's something was missing and then all of a sudden like michael's like hey i have these lyrics and then i remember the first time i heard them like in the studio with like uh evan was like blasting them and i was like holy shit like this like this changes this song the song is like completely different it is no longer what it was and it is i don't know it it became something else with that it's great it's really it's really great if you weren't paying attention you wouldn't you'd totally miss it so while we're talking about the uh, the you know fact that we've had these songs, uh, you guys have had these songs that have gone back, as you were saying, maybe back to 2013. I know you've already talked about how it necessarily you had to kind of sit on this record in one way or the other, both out of necessity or just you know wanting to figure out exactly what how you wanted to finish and fill out these songs. But you know, on an emotional level, did your I guess, relationship change at all with these tracks over those years? Because I, I personally, I've gone back and listened to songs I've written, you know, 10 years ago, and it's completely different than what I obviously was feeling when I wrote them. I mean, I think it it's kind of would be hard not to, especially considering how old some of, the, some of them were. And I think even kind of our relationship with the record changed some too, because I think we never intended on this record taking as long as it did. And there was a lot of things that happened. I mean, I got married in 2019, which was amazing. You know, best day of my life for sure. But also it was like that whole year leading up to it from getting engaged to that. It was like that was more important to me than, than you know, getting this record out into the world and everything else. And so there was there was life happened. Is was honestly the, the best answer I have to give as to why why it happened the way it did. But as far as like, my personal relationship with the tracks is that, you know, there was periods where it's like, you know, you, you listen to it and you're so close to it for so long over that you start to question like, is is this as good as we think it is? Like, do I like this? And then, you know, the last just getting way it goes out there. I'm like, I fucking love this. This is, you know, it also, it also took so long out of necessity because we didn't have any money. That too. We didn't have any money to pay for it, and so we were that too. we were going we were going down to Austin, and we're like, okay, we have this money now. Let's pay for this, and we'll we'll come back later and finish it when we have money to pay for it. And so it took us a while because we were because we were driving down to Austin, and so it was like, okay, we have to figure out a free weekend that we're that we're gonna be able to do that. You know, booking the time, you know, having the money, the funds, and luckily, luckily, we were able to work with Evan in the studio, and you know, but. That, that that's honestly why I think it took the longest time, mm-hmm. and then also it was just it's daunting, you know, when it's just when it was just me and Mike because we were like, what are we doing with these? Like, where do we want to go with them? Because they're so they were so empty almost with just the two of us. Like, it's a it's a great live set, right? It was great live because um, we can do a live show well, but 
uh, them recorded is like they need more. And so, but it was nice having to go back and forth because it was like gave us time to sit on them and like really mull it over. Like, okay, well, what do we want to add? And I remember we just been like, we'd talk the whole ride there and back yeah. like three hours just straight talking, me and Mike and just shooting shit. And it was great times. That's awesome. <laughs> and then it was the fact that like, when you're talking about what, you know, adding more to the record, it was, you know, Mike learned how, like, body keyboard learned how to play keyboard and write parts and then go record them. Like, that would took, like, a whole year. Like, it did. You, when you yeah. were wanting more, like, you it, were just like, well, I will guess I guess I'll just go teach myself how to do this. Yeah, it took Michael a year to figure out how to play and write synth parts, and then he did it. And then he was like, okay, these are what they're going to be now. <laughs> it, thank God for MIDI. <laughs> <laughs> I would say 95% of the record is analog synth. Either uh, we, we, we got a chord prologue, which is featured heavily on the record. There's some pocket piano, which is all just done by hand. But yeah, being able to get out that piano roll. And, and the funny thing was, was like literally having, you know, the stems that we had from the studio. And I'm, I'm at my house and I'm just like pouring over this and being like, I would write some parts. I bring them to rehearsal. And, and Dave would be like... It's just not there yet. It's not quite it yet. No, not don't like that one. And I was like, all right, and then just would go back and do it again. Yeah, didn't have it any, was hard. Didn't have any real good advice. Or just like, that's not it. That's not it. Go back, try again. But <laughs> that's how it goes. I mean, that's how you make good shit. And I, I, I've heard the process of other groups. I remember hearing an interview with, um, uh, with Wayne Quinn of the Flaming Lips and talking about how he. I think it, I can't remember what track it was. It might have even been. Do you realize that he showed the track to Steve like? 10 times or something absurd like that over and over and it wasn't until like he finally kind of nailed it it was like oh this is amazing but you just weren't there yet and and you need that you need a creative partner that's going to be like eh, i don't know if i like that because you want to put out something that you're both happy with you guys might need that you guys might need that i don't want that no one tell me when i'm bad i just want to be told i'm good <laughs> all the time that is that's it. not true <laughs> stop stop <laughs> So the first single, uh, if you're listening to this uh, day of release, uh, this podcast, the first single, Way It Goes, is out now. And it, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that is a song that your fans have been waiting for, an official release uh, for some time, because it, it really is kind of like a live staple of y'all's. I remember you guys playing house shows, and as soon as that would come out, because um, uh, for anyone who listens to it, that kind of that sound at the beginning is Michael playing a whammy pedal. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is at a show, just wanting to vibe, that is just like mind melting. So how does it feel to finally have this song, you know, finished and released? So I'm sure you can stop getting that question of like, Hey, when does Bapa U come out? (laughs) I mean, it feels so good. I know David can say this as well. It's like, the number of times we've had friends and family, I was like, when's the record coming out? When's the record coming out? We're like, it's out. The singles are out. <laughs> <laughs> it feels great. L- lyrically, that song, is, is it about... Like, the lyrics are great. Um, thank you for posting them on Bandcamp is where I saw that you posted lyrics. Is, who is that about, if you don't mind my asking? I know some singers don't like talking about giving away the mystery, but... I, I'll talk about it kind of in the abstract. How about that? I'll kind of Perfect. give you a taste. Um, I think it's sort of an amalgam. You know, it was more about uh, like sort of behaviors I witnessed in Denton um, and and not just Denton, but just sort of like with particularly, you know, it's it's funny. We, we, we were sending out some PR and it was sort of like, it was like very, it was a very like young masculine energy of sort of like, 
I'm doing this thing. I'm living my life in a certain way. And like, nobody can tell me what the fuck to do. Um, and it's like, cool, but what, where are you going to be in 10 years? Like, what's your plan, man? You know, it's good to have a fun time and all that, but what's, what's the end goal here? Right. And, you know, I would say also some of the, the second verse is definitely more of a self critique. I would say being like, all right, you're in your own head. Like you're not, you're not innocent. You right. Know, so. Yeah. Cause it made me think about like, what, what, I wonder what my parents thought I was going to be like, what did they hope I would be? But that even more so made me think about like, cause they're cool with the fact that I'm a musician and this is what I do. Um, but I also mine are too, for the it, record, very, very supportive. <laughs> <laughs> but as I get older, I start doing things more like them. Like I have these little mannerisms. Do you guys find that that's a silly question, but do you find that you're getting like, do you ever do something and go, Oh damn, that's what my parents did all the time. <laughs> yeah. For, for better or worse. Sometimes I, you know, be like, Oh, like uh, either like a, a, a phrase or an idiom or even just like physically, they can be like, oh, I, this is how my dad's like belly looks when he, you know, got older or something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I just turned, you know, I, tur- I just turned thirty, so it's like you start noticing things, or you notice things about yourself, or, or even like how you might even react to things. You know, you can be like, oh, I, I feel like because my parents did like that, did it like that. I feel like that's why I'm doing it like right now. Do y'all see? Because y'all, I'm sure y'all know each other's parents. Because if you're, you, you're clearly good friends do you see other members of the band and go like david do you see other people michael or cullen do something and go dude you're so much like your dad or you're so oh, much like your so much yeah <laughs> i think i'm kind of hilariously like my dad in some ways yeah 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 no i'll i'll definitely i definitely see that in them yeah i mean i guess also i i know i know the slack family because i'm also friends with michael's sister katie um we all are um so I, I guess I, I honestly I see more resemblances there with, between uh, your sister and your mom than you and your yeah. dad. But like, I when I talk to when I talk to your dad, yeah, <laughs> definitely because they'll, they'll start they both just like they'll both just talk. They like yeah, to. <laughs> um, yeah. in a great way. Like they both have like great things to say, but it you know. But I definitely see that in them. My parents live so far away, like six, seven hours. Like y'all live in the Metroplex. Like now I'm just kind of wondering, like whenever you rarely ever see my parents in town, like, do you ever notice anything about like, you know, (laughs) anything that they do or I resemble? (laughs) Well, I will say is that Cullen is from like kind of a pretty small town outside of Houston. And just the person he is and his interests and stuff could not be more like contrary to your <laughs> upbringing, which is the thing I think about all the time. And, you know, for example, like, uh, yeah, like, I mean, Colin, you can speak to it more sort of like what that was like living on a big old plot of land with like four wheelers and, and all that. And then of course he's, you know, uh, a bass player and a rock musician and all that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that was just a big influence kind of like to, to do everything that was opposite of what my hometown was, you know, move to a fairly liberal college town and just go head first and the kind of the psychedelic kind of side of, of Denton. And yeah, I, you know, it's maybe that's why he's a bass player. Cause I I'm from a small town and I do everything opposite. I moved to a liberal place, became a bass player. So people who are listening, if you need a bass player for your band, just go to a small town and put up posters. Yeah. Find that <laughs> high school kid who's yeah. like, just hates his life. He's hanging out in the band hall be like, dude, come on, get in the van. We're going. We got a base for you already. <laughs> hey, and while we're still on the track, way it goes, I have to ask, 
whose idea was it to release this song on 420? Which one of y'all? It was mine. It was David. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it just, I feel like, I feel like it just, it worked because when we were talking about it and it was ready, it was like, okay, well, that's, that's two weeks, that's two weeks out, you know, like that, you know, like, let's do it. And then it was also like kind of the content of the song. I felt like kind right, of just tripping. went with the whole, with the, yeah, with the day, you know. <laughs> it had to be. There was no other day. You know, we were ready for it in spring. It was April and it was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. I was ready just to release the whole album and just like secretly drop it. Just be like, hey, here, here it is. I was just ready for it to be out. Yeah, Michael was like, I put too, too much work into all this. No, we're not doing that. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I kind of thought that might have been the plan based on the promotion that y'all did, just posting a different, like, you know, one ninth of the album art every day for the song. Right. I think, I think the motivation behind that, not like announcing it, was more, I like the idea of like, we have not done anything in so long. We have not posted anything. Since March 2020, I was like, I just want to do like a completely blind, like feed drop, boom, new music. Not like saying, hey, check out what's coming next week. Just be like, if you're paying attention, you see something's happening. And here, here's our song that hopefully if you, if you forgot about it now, now we're reminding you. So, yeah, I think it, it made a big impact, I think. And judging from some of the press that you all have had for the song, I think that shows. So we've been lucky enough to hear three songs. One's already out at the time of this recording and then the two others uh, that we were able to listen to and the, the overall, and I don't know really if this full on encompasses the whole album, but I, I view this that it kind of just sounds kind of like a summer feel. And like, uh, that's such a, a shitty way of describing something. But whenever I say that, uh, I think of bands like, you know, animal collective or something like a MGMT or something like that. If that's your vibe listeners, this, this is definitely for you. Overall, the band has a unique sound. We've talked about the guitars and your vocal styling being like Freddie Mercury. Uh, Colin, <laughs> did Michael make you get a whammy pedal, or is that something you already have? So actually, I, I was the first one to get a whammy pedal in the band. I, Digitech <gasps> put out the reissue of the of the bass whammy in spring 2014, and I was just you know looking for crazy sounds, so I bought one. And Mike was running a, compared to what his setup now is, you know, maybe four or so pedals at the time. And I was just like, hey, dude, just like plug into this thing and just see what comes out. And he actually wrote a riff uh, with one of the settings on the bass whammy, which... I wrote Way It Goes with the yeah, bass well, you, whammy. Yeah, you, you ended up writing it. That. There was another thing that one of the, one of the harmony settings isn't available on the red mm. guitar one. But it was because, you know... We were, because uh, we were all, I think, living together at that time we too, and so you ended up just like, you know, yeah, writing, writing way it goes, pr- that that main riff right off the bat, and I think it was like your birthday was right around the corner. I was like, yep, you're getting a, you're getting a whammy pedal, <laughs> and your parents got you one. They did. I, I have, I'm on my second whammy now because I broke my first one because I spam <laughs> it so much. So, wow, I was gonna tell uh, Colin he had to tread lightly, saying that Michael had a small pedal board and i was probably gonna have to edit that whole section out <laughs> I, I wish i had a small pedal board it is it is a lot the there is no worse feeling and uh guitarists bassists musicians with pedal boards can attest to this there is no worse feeling than being on a hot stage with those lights pouring down on you and you don't know why there's a short in your fucking pedal board right. <laughs> and that signal's not working and you're running five minutes late and now it's 10 minutes late so yeah simplicity i appreciate it you know 
but I, I guess it's just not for me anymore. Yeah, yeah we've le- we've learned to kind of like work around his uh, his malfunctions. Bring a toolbox yeah. with extra cables. Yeah. In talking about how you're, you said you, like all of the all of you guys are so creative with how you play, but specifically Michael, how has using pedals and writing the parts that you do, how has that influenced your vocals? Um, how has pedals influenced my vocals? I would say, um, hmm, I would say there's the pedals at, at a certain point became so necessary to the songwriting. It's like I, when I was younger, I used to, especially like, I kind of think I hit my songwriting stride sort of like late high school, early college. I like figured out, I was like, okay, I can actually write some songs. These are okay. It was a lot of like folk stuff and like acoustic. I'd always been an electric player growing up and I was pretty good at it, but that was sort of that mode. And then moving to Denton and seeing like all of these like great rock bands, uh, particularly like I know one that, that David and I fell in love with and Cullen too is the band Two Nights. And just seeing like this insane like two piece math rock band was like super inspiring. It was like, okay, we, we I want to do that. Like I want to play this crazy music. I want to want to do that. And I, I was a big fan of like Maps and Atlases before that in high school. And so I'd gotten a little taste. But anyways, like going back to your, your original question, like I don't think it influences that much, but I will say guitar absolutely influences my vocals. I think learning scales and modes and all of that, I think that my vocal runs and all of that is 100% like a reflection of my guitar playing because I, I've also found that like I've, I've tried writing stuff from like the synth is the first thing and I have a hard time with vocal melody. As soon as like I pick up the guitar, it's like, oh, it just clicks again since it's sort of my first instrument. In When I Cave, it's, it's such a great vocal line. But do you ever, do you guys ever write parts uh, and go, fuck, now I have to play this live? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, David, you definitely play, uh, I, I wouldn't say non-traditional, but I'll just go ahead and say it, non-traditional, like drum parts. You don't necessarily just playing a, a simple beat. Sometimes you'll be matching what the guitar lick will be doing which like if i were to just write that down on paper and explain it okay so like here's the guitar is doing this riff and it's got all these pedals on it about eight maybe 30 pedals going on at once and then (laughs) eight maybe 30 (laughs) the drum line mimics that it's just like i mean how do you go about doing that is that how you naturally play or is that how you naturally play with dome dwellers I, I probably just a little bit of both. I mean, we've been playing together, what, like almost nine? It's coming up on nine years, I think. Yeah, it'll be nine years in November. So, David, yeah. So playing, and like, I haven't really played with many other people in that nine years, to be honest. Like, so like, just Michael has influenced my drumming, like having to accommodate, like, how am I going to write a fucking drum part to this? Like, what am I going to do? And a lot of the times it's just if I just mimic him, it's the easiest thing to come up with a drum part for because how else can I write to him sometimes? <laughs> From an outside perspective, like I really think you started to develop that style when, when you know, I, I had kind of stepped away from the band and you had to fill that sound space where there was no low end or there was no, you know, not another stringed instrument. So you did have to fill, you know, both kind of like a, a rhythmic and almost kind of a melodic drum wise. Yeah, it it was it. I I was like, okay, well, like there's there needs to be more sound. Like there's not enough sound, so let me try to play as much as I can, so that it brings more sound, so that it's more present. But I definitely play things. I write. We write things that are very hard to play again live. They're always like I. There's so many times where we'll be 
playing and I'll be like, I can't play this song. We have to, we're going to have to skip this one. Like, right. I, I, I can't, I can't do this right now. I don't want to do blast beats right now. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and there was a while there where I was, I had really bad carpal tunnel. And so like, I really couldn't drum at all. And then, and so it was actually right before, it was right before our last show. It was like the first show since, since I've joined that I didn't play every single song. Blake played one song and he was going to play two songs, but after he played one song, I was like, nah, okay, I gotta, I gotta play, like, I gotta play that, the last song. He can't play two of those, like, I gotta, but it was, but it was, um, it, it, I just couldn't play it because my, my, my wrists wouldn't let me. <laughs> well, something I think too is really interesting is when you're writing, a lot of times you strip your kit back to just like maybe a kick, snare, hat, and maybe a cymbal. And it seems like you try to get as much as you can with that while you're learning and kind of conceptualizing the song. And then kind of near the end of it, when everything else is kind of coming around, that's when you add in a floor tom uh, and a rack tom and maybe a, a crash. And that's, you know, I, I think that's a really good approach. Instead of putting like your whole color palette, you know, out first, you kind of restrict yourself and just see how, how intricate can I get with just as little as possible before I start adding more stuff back in. Yeah, that is true. Whenever we do write a song, whenever we're starting working on songs, I strip it back to probably as... as kick snare hi-hat i start there and then i slowly start adding pieces but i think sometimes at that point starting with those i feel like i have to just like a lot of fast snare i feel like for whatever reason in my mind it's like that'll fill up sound space like just so hit the like snare I try, faster yeah just play it faster david like so it's just like for a while there it was like yeah if i could just play just keep playing it faster and faster and <laughs> and I mean, David's being humble because there's been some really, I, I can think of a couple parts specifically that just kind of blew my mind that had either had to do with the guitar or was like this amazing counterpoint because sometimes it is like he's following other times. It's like, no, this is like a whole other complex thing. And actually the ending of when I cave is a, is a perfect example. And I remember in studio that Tom part at the end, we were like, wait a second, if we tune these toms, they will be in tune to this. This is like another melodic component. And that was this like kind of, just, you know, you know, like mind explosion sort of situation. And yeah, it just spent, felt so good. We spent so much time tuning toms in the studio. I think one day we, tu- we worked on tuning toms for like two hours. <laughs> and then it was like, all right, when we come back the next day, just check them again, and you're gonna go straight into yeah. And, then, and it was like, okay, we'll spend another like 30 minutes trying to get them back into tune and and stuff. It was well, awesome. It, it's just it, it's cool to see the process. You know, I love watching bands on stage because as a performer, I can tell sometimes when something goes wrong, and usually whatever happens, like in how bands get through that, the success of that I find most times depends on how much everyone in the band are friends and how well everybody gets along. You have those nights where, you know, maybe something goes wrong in the pedal board or your wrists are sore from carpal tunnel and everyone else in the band knows that that's going on and you kind of cater to that in the moment and move forward. It's just really, it's really cool to witness that. But I would be curious to see like as a four piece now, how much have you guys played together and how, how is that change the live performances i mean i think it's made us sound a lot bigger and i would say the other thing too is like you know blake blake a lot of there's a the the key parts and stuff on the record was sort of why we brought in blake we're like holy shit this guy can really play guitar as well and and vibraphone and vibraphone yeah we have the 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 tiny desk session he was doing that that blake has just been this really amazing uh multi-instrumentalist and for me i was like 
Oh, okay. I need to start. I'm, let's work on some yeah. like he can dueling drum. leads and drum, he can drum for drums. Like he's yeah. he's an he's an amazing musician. So. He is. So less pedals and less snare. <laughs> in some ways, I think bringing in a fourth person allowed us to kind of like focus more. At least for me, focus more on just like just nail the vocal, nail the guitar part. You don't have to like completely overdo things. And, and, you know, like we're, we're in the midst of writing now stuff for the release after the one that's coming out and, and these songs and, and in a lot of ways, and I think this happens for a lot of bands as you get, there's a, there's an element of kind of wanting to prove yourself. I think as a young musician that you're like, I want to be able to show people how well I can play guitar, how fast I can drum, you know, like how well I can sing. Whereas you get a little bit older, you're like, I just want to write good songs. I just want to write stuff that people really enjoy. And I think our kind of our next batch of stuff will be. I mean, it's still going to sound like us <laughs> in, in every shape or form, but kind of has that element to it, you know, where it's like we don't have to do everything all the time. So you heard it here first. Acoustic album coming from Dome Dwellers next. <laughs> <laughs> Folk Dwellers. Give us the story behind the artwork and the visual elements of the band, because I know uh, reading up about this, I was at least for me, I was a little confused. Uh, Michael, I know that you're a graphic designer, but uh, this was inspired by someone's origami. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a couple There's a couple layers here, and, and David can also talk about it too. So our, the album cover itself, uh, I mean, you can talk about the first part. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about mm-hmm. it, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is my purview. Um, the, the album cover itself is actually done by an artist named Yumeida who, uh, that will be out like whenever the full record comes out. But we, I adapted a bunch of the, um, that specific painting he made into the singles. So it was just like a ton of Photoshopping this comp, this painting that you'll, everyone will get to see later on when the record drops, uh, and just trying to figure out what to do with that. And then I was just kind of like looking around online and I found these cool origami, like they're, I think they're like greeting cards. And, you know, it just kind of one thing led to another when it comes to like visual art stuff for me, I just kind of get excited about like kind of a new toy. And at the time it was like stop frame animation. And um, I was like, I'm going to rig these up. I'm going to get some like colored light and like a green screen and I'm going to kind of mess around and, and just go for it. And I did. And it took way too long. That's another reason why, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. record's been so, done for years, but the artwork took three years. It, yeah, you know, I mean, something like that. I think some of it was going through a lot. <laughs> like, my perception of time's not the greatest, so yeah, you could be right. Like, I, I do this, yeah. When I, I was listening to the little, tracks yeah. and I saw the the origami art, and I was, I just kept, I, I had to rewind twenty one days because I was like, does that fold into itself? I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was just kind of a cool little little thing to find, and I was like, this is this is awesome. Let's put it in there. And, you know, we didn't necessarily have a plan for the single artwork out the gate. And then what often happens is if, like, I'm the one making it as I go down a rabbit hole and I go too far. And then that's what happens. But it's, it's, always, it's always worth it because the end product is always, it's always great. <laughs> right. And I'm, it seems complete. It. Yeah. And especially yeah. if the, uh, like, social media promotion and, like, the YouTube videos for the songs, I think it, it helps, like, make the singles kind of stand out on their own a bit more than maybe they would just as a, you know, track you go listen to. For yeah, sure. and you and like when the when the album comes and the album art, you'll see the you'll see the theme. Like there's they're they're all kind of related. They're very thematic and colors and kind of design in a way, and so they all fit together nicely. If you guys have us back when we drop the full record, we can talk about the concept there because David and I had a fun 
kind of back and forth with the artist about the concept and figuring out sort of the direction and, and thematically because that was that was a fun process too. Yeah, that sounds good. I I apologize for admitting this, but if you guys aren't already on TikTok, I, that those animations I think will hit it off right there. So get on TikTok if you're already not not already. Yeah, I think I think I think Mike set up a TikTok specifically. I did. We're not Gen Z enough for TikTok. We're not. It's a Pandora's box to me. I just like I don't. I just, I don't want to put in the effort. I think none of us are hey, real I'm, big social media users either. So Jackson's yeah. an expert now, so he can he can help you out. <laughs> I just started a TikTok, and it like I and here's my actual genuine speech is I'm shocked at the amount of organic reach on there, and I'm not saying these are like you know humbling numbers, but just like one video in one day got like 500 views, and I had no follows, and I was like. This is pretty crazy how organic this outreach is, and that's not going to last forever. So, uh, you know, get on it. That's 500 people who watched your video and went, no. Nah. <laughs> it's, wow. it's a crazy thing. Dave. Dave. <laughs> that was Jackson watching his video 500 times. <laughs> 499, 500. You just count the yeah. on there. I've I've really appreciated this uh, like outsider insider baseball perspective that Colin has had. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard that uh, quote from uh, Kanye West of my biggest regret in life is that I'll never get to see myself perform live. I feel like that's what Colin <laughs> is right now. Is but in all seriousness, you you have this unique perspective of like that was the band that I was in, and now you know you you stepped away and you got to see them live and kind of form and now you're back in it so all jokes aside you're the kanye west of dome dwellers yes i will i will agree to that i am the kanye west of this band (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's, it's been really uh no it's i i I mean i do cherish that being able you know to have that perspective to be you know uh, you know mike and i started this band you know late summer 2012 just him and i looking for drummers we went through a couple drummers before getting to david and then just growing it just from like writing songs, literally all three of us shoved into Michael's bedroom in his oh little God, yeah. you know house he rented off Panhandle Street to, you know, being asked to play like Octopia or being able to, you know, play the, the Dallas Artists and Music Fest. And then, you know, stepping away, um, you know. To practicing in smaller spaces. Yeah, right, right now. <laughs> to, to going to even <laughs> but, smaller practice spaces. But it was great to be able to like become a fan of the band from the outside and that was like when I heard the the you know the final mixes, final masters of this record, it was just I don't know. I was so happy for them to be like, no, this is a record I would jam even if I had never known these guys, and then to be like, no, but like I'm on two of the songs and like I get to play these songs live. Like it's it's so exciting. Um, and I don't know. I think moving forward, I I you know I do get to have that perspective of just being like you know, how would this be received by a fan? Because I've been across, you know, I've been in the audience before. Like I I saw y'all at least three or four times as just come to see a house show or just going to a venue and seeing you, you know, and it is really awesome to see, you know, your friends succeed, but at the same time, know like, you know, I was once part of that now knowing like I'm part of that again. Yeah, I saw, I saw Blake perform that one song. I fucking hated it. <laughs> just, the envy just made his carpal tunnel go away, and like magically, it was fine. I, I literally just pushed through because I was like, yeah. "Nope, I'm gonna play." <laughs> well, it's just—it's a lot of growth, and I think you know, in the songs that we've heard, 
uh, I'm really excited to hear what's next. Well, thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for bringing us on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So uh, we definitely have all the links below uh, in the podcast notes, but is there is there a best place that you guys want people to find you guys, whether it be Spotify or Bandcamp or whatever? Uh, I would definitely say Spotify right now, but we're, we're everywhere else. If you're an Apple Music listener, check us out there. You know, don't give your money to Bezos, so don't do Amazon, I guess, but we're there as well. We're, we're everywhere. Just check us out. That's what we care about. On top of that, uh, I don't know if you guys want to say when the album is coming out, but I do know that you have at least a second single coming out. Uh, do you want to say when that comes out? We're playing that close to the chest for now. Well, not when the second single is coming out. Not when the second single is coming out, but the full record. Oh, yeah, the full record. Well, yeah. Um, but we can probably... You can say when the other two are coming out. We already have them set, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, When I Cave is coming out on, on the 28th and 21 Days is coming out uh, in the last Friday of June. All right. Well, that's exciting. We've been uh, lucky enough to listen to both those tracks. So you guys definitely have something in store for your fans and even new listeners. Um, you've been gracious enough to let us uh, do little snippets of that second single. So if you are listening to this before May 28th, when I cave, this is what it sounds like. But then also, if you're listening to this after May 28th, hey, go listen to it uh, on your uh, streaming platform of choice or do even better and just buy the damn thing. So thanks, guys, for coming on. It's great to see you guys back. I can't wait to see you guys perform live. I got to say, when I was doing the social media check, one of the photos I saw was first show of 2020, and that hit me like a gut punch. So it, I can't wait to see you guys live again. Yeah. I think there was also a part where you said 2020 is going to be a big year for us. And I was like, Oh, fuck. yeah. You know what? That was <laughs> lockdown was a week later. That sucks so hard. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Our band Monica released an EP on uh, February 14th. Was it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Valentine's of that Day. year. Yeah. And then pandemic. That's the joy. Yeah. But thank you guys for coming on. Uh, it, it's been great seeing you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is fun. Yeah.